there's one story that I, I love to tell because to me it's the you know one of the reasons why I do this. Um, one of the groups I was working with in France uh, placed a seizure alert dog with a woman with a young mother, and she was bathing her her baby in the tub. She was all by herself with her dog and her baby, and all of a sudden the dog came rushing into the bathroom and started poking her. And she's like, "Well, this isn't possible." But just in you know, just out of doubt, she pulled her baby out of the tub put the baby on the floor and immediately went to a full-blown seizure. Oh my gosh. And if she hadn't got the baby out, the baby would have drowned in the bath? Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Doggy Dan Podcast Show. Helping you unleash the greatness within your dog. Hello and welcome everybody to another Doggy Dan podcast and today as always I'm super excited and I know I say that every time but it's true I love chatting to dog people and today is no exception we have Jennifer Cate with us and uh, she is from Medical Mutts. Now Medical Mutts was founded by Jennifer uh, and her husband Jack Topham in 2013 and their non-profit organization is dedicated to the training of high-quality diabetes alert dogs, seizure dogs, and psychiatric service dogs, whilst providing a new lease of life to shelter dogs. And she has a team of highly qualified and certified trainers, and Medical Mutts offers different levels of services depending on each person's needs, from fully trained service dogs to training owner dogs as service dogs, or teaching owners how to train their own dogs. Sounds fascinating. I'm really excited. I want to learn about this stuff. So um, Jennifer, over to you. Welcome. Tell us about a little bit about who you are and tell us about Medical Mutts. Well, thank you, Dan, for having me. And, uh, you know, I always appreciate the opportunity to talk to uh, other dog lovers. For sure. Um, so, yeah, Medical Mutts, yeah, we're in Indiana, but we do we do help people all over the U.S. and all over the world sometimes because we do have classes online cool. as well. But it's all about service dogs. We do service dogs only. So... For those people listening who, you know, we have listeners outside of America, and I know a lot of people are interested in service dogs and therapy dogs. What's the difference? And is there a difference? I kind of know the answer, but I'm asking for, for everybody. Service dogs and therapy dogs, what's the difference? I think I know. But I think I do. I'm... Yes, I, I would hope so. But, you know, a lot of people are confused. And, and one of the reasons is when you hear the word therapy dog, you think of a dog that's going to provide you some therapy. So naturally um that often goes along with um you know people having anxieties or psychiatric conditions but really a therapy dog the short story of of what they are is they provide a service to other people yeah not to the person holding the leash it's other people so people in a hospital bed <laughs> so, so the key word really is therapy think of others service think of you yes exactly that's it. So go into a little bit more, if you could, if you'd be so kind. Service dog, what sort of services? I know we've kind of touched on it already, but you really, I mean, I've gone through your website and I've, I've read a bit and you seem to offer a, a vast array of services. And I've always been fascinated in, in, in this stuff and how dogs actually do what they do. So can you tell us what the dogs actually do? I just find it fascinating. Sure. So we are specialized in dogs 
that can detect uh, for conditions and alert for conditions like diabetes, seizures, and psychiatric conditions. And the reason why we're specialized in those is because I've been part of research in, in all those fields, and we were able to demonstrate that dogs can smell when somebody goes into hypoglycemia or somebody is about to have a seizure or a panic attack. Now, the panic attack we haven't demonstrated yet. We haven't proven scientifically we're working on it. But the other two, we know for sure that there is a smell. And we do know we haven't, even though we haven't proven it, we, we know for sure there's a smell also associated to our emotions. So if we have a, a high emotion, we're going to release a smell. And the dogs can be trained to use that as a cue to perform a behavior that might, um, you know, help us calm down and, and uh, you know, uh, deal with the situation in a better way. Okay, guys. You might not have realized this, but what, what, what Jennifer's saying here, this has got me, this is why I get excited, because what you're saying is dogs, you're the person who knows that dogs really can smell fear. Oh, yes, absolutely they can. <laughs> so we, we have, you should see our fridge. So we have samples from people who send us, you know, we, we ask them to collect samples when they're having an emotion. So we have samples in our fridge that says, um, you know, panic, anxiety, fear. <laughs> so, we, and we absolutely know that dogs can do that. So, what are the samples of? I'm, <laughs> I'm picturing you got people. <laughs> I picture you got people in your fridge. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's, it's much easier than that. So, what what I like to do is think about what what um, what we call VOCs, right? The molecules that we that come out of our body what are the most likely molecules that are going to reach our dog's nose? And those come out of our mouth, right, when we breathe through our breath and from our pores. So, it, you know, it, the short story is all we ask is for somebody to grab a cotton ball, wipe it on their skin, and uh, put it in a Ziploc bag, breathe into it. And so it kind of mixes, you know, whatever's on their skin and their breath, and then um, close the Ziploc bag and send that over to us. Wow. I'm just blown away. It's like you always want to find the person who really knows. Can dogs really? I mean, I always, I know they can. I know they can detect something, but I, it feels like you've got a bit of a scientific background. Is that right? Or you just. I, I do <laughs> a little bit. I have a PhD in ethology. So I have a scientific uh, background from the University of Geneva in Switzerland. Um, where I studied dog behavior. So I've been in dogs for over 35 years now. Um, and I love to back up what we do in training with some research so that, you know, we're not just saying that dogs can do it. There's, we have to prove it too to put some legitimacy behind it. But also for other people so that other trainers might also pick up on it and can reproduce what we're doing. Yes. And help more people. Yes, yes. Oh, it's just so exciting to be chatting to you. Could you? Would you? So, would you be so good as to go through? So, the diabetes now. Diabetes, as I understand it, I'm just curious about the how the dog. What are the dogs detecting there? So, with diabetes, that's a sugar um, insulin spike or dropping. Is that right? And what are the dogs? Would you be so good as to go through? What are they picking up on there? Yes. So, if you have diabetes, that means your pancreas is not working mm. and so your body can't naturally regulate glucose which is a critical function you know that keeps us alive so people with diabetes have to constantly check their glucose levels to make sure that they're relatively within range 
And what we know is we can train dogs to alert the person to smell, or to smell, to to, um, detect the smell that is released when the person's glucose levels are dropping, so they're going into hypoglycemia, or when they're raising above normal levels. Okay. So... Um, what's neat about that is we know there's technology, right? There's a lot of technology for people with diabetes that, that helps them tremendously, but there's plenty of times when that technology fails and doesn't, doesn't help, uh, doesn't maybe wake up the person if they're having a hypoglycemic episode, episode at night, um, or they, um, it's not necessarily, um, see, let, let me, let me take an example here. Let's imagine you're a 14-year-old boy in front of your um, what Xbox. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not into video games. Yeah, sounds good to me. But you're, you're involved in a, in a video game. And your technology is telling you, hey, beep, 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 you need to check out your glucose levels. It's very easy for that 14-year-old boy to just turn it off and, and think, you know, oh, well, I'm going to address that. In, let me finish my game, and then I'm going to go um, take care of my glucose levels. And time goes on, and things bad things happen. Yeah. Well, with the dog, the dog will come over and start start pestering that fourteen year old. Yeah. Uh, we teach our dogs to give very strong nose pokes. Yes. So it's not pleasant. It's meant to be um, kind of irritating, and for the dog to, to sustain it until they get a reaction. So it's a lot harder to ignore the dog than to ignore the technology. So the bit I'm fascinated with in with is, is it's all to do with smell and the two things I'm picking up on is one we are probably giving off more smells and scents than we realize as humans and secondly the dog's just picking them up no problem and can decipher which smell it is and what it means basically is that right? That's right and right now we don't know what that smell is all we know is that there is a smell. Okay. Got it. But what is in that smell is fascinating the me- medical industry right now because if you could figure out what that smell is, what those molecules are, then you can come up with, you know, better ways to maybe detect the changes. So that's still that's still happening. So as all, I mean, as so often happens, I should say, the dogs are doing stuff and we can't believe they're doing it in some almost because we don't understand how they're doing it. They're doing stuff we don't really understand is uh, what I often sort of say. That's exactly right. And, you know, what's fascinating about working in this field is we have no idea when those smells come out or not. So we're we're always relying on our dogs to tell us, you know, if something's happening. So we, we have to stay really humble in this area because Beautiful. they are aware of so many things that don't even exist to us. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. So that's diabetes. Got it. Now, would you be so good as just to touch on, you mentioned seizures as well. Just is that, I'm curious, is that a similar sort of thing? Is it a smell that's released when? It, yes. So we know that there's a smell. So we, we proved, we collected scent from, um, this was done with a, a hospital in France. They collected smell from patients with seizures, sent them over to our facility, and we were able to um, demonstrate that dogs, can pick up a smell of somebody with a seizure. So the way we, we prove it is we get samples from, um, let's say, Sarah when she's in a seizure, seizure and when she's outside of a seizure, and the dogs can, can make the difference between those two samples from the same person, right? So that's how we know there's yep. definitely a smell. Yes. And in seizures, it's extremely important because 
seizures, I mean, having seizures is really debil- debilitating. Some people mm. can't go to work. Yeah. People can't cook because if you're cooking and you have you go into a seizure, you can burn down the house. Yes. Um, yes. So we train the dogs to detect that smell so that they can alert the person before they have a seizure. And that gives some time to the person to sit down or lay down and, and get into a safe space. Wow. So there's one story that I, I love to tell because it's, it's just, it, to me, it's, it's the, you know, one of the reasons why I do this. Um, one of the groups I was working with in France uh, placed a seizure alert dog and the, the, with a woman, with a young mother, and she was bathing her, her baby in the tub. She was all by herself with her dog and her baby and was doing what all mothers do. And all of a sudden, the dog came rushing into the bathroom and started poking her. And she's like, well, this isn't possible. But just, in, you know, just out of doubt, she pulled her baby out of the tub, put the baby on the floor, and immediately went to a full-blown seizure. Oh, my gosh. And if she hadn't got the baby out, the baby would have drowned in the bath? Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. I wonder how far away the dogs can detect that scent from, the smell. Do you have any idea? Is it, is it really strong to them, do you think? Or? So, so there's so many factors that influence uh, that. We had um, one case of a child who was in um, the Mediterranean Sea, so swimming away, parents were on the beach with a dog, um, and he was you know, maybe uh, 50 feet away in the water. No and suddenly the dog just jumped up and started poking the parents. Oh, my gosh. And so they called, they called their child in and were able to see that he was, he was about to go into hypoglycemic, um, you know, having a hypoglycemic episode. So why it worked there is because the, the wind was carrying the molecules to the dog, right? If the wind had gone the other way, that would not have happened. Unbelievable, eh? Wow. I bet that doggy was well fed that night. (laughs) Well, good boy. What do you want for dinner? (laughs) In fact, what do you always want? Whatever you want. Yes. (laughs) I've seen that before with my dog. Um, I had a beautiful dog named Peanut. And um, we would walk along the beach. And then she would just stop. And she would look out to sea. And her nose would just be going. And it was just, wow. I wonder what she can pick up on. May have been a dead fish, but it often felt like more than just a dead fish. It felt like there was a, I want to say a large animal or something very specific. Or It may not have been a large animal. She was just fascinated. Only happened maybe yeah. five or five times in her life, um, you know, in 13 years. But she just was literally obsessed with, and there was nothing there. There was just water as far as I could see, just ocean. And we walked it every day, but sometimes it was like, do you realize what is out there? And I had no idea, of course, never did. No idea. <laughs> no, that's, that's right. That's, the, that's what's so fascinating about this is really they, they sense a lot of, they get a lot of information from the environment that we don't even know exists. Mm. Well, I often say we have all these senses, you know, the you know, five senses, you know, seeing and hearing and tasting and smell but a lot of us you know we i mean not so much with covid people who've lost the sense of smell have realized how important it is but we don't use it nearly as much as the dogs i mean the dogs it's just so powerful for them um i sometimes feel like the dogs almost it's 
they, the dogs who who can't see but can smell still seem to function incredibly well. They, you know, they may be blind, but if they can still smell, they seem to be able to move around the houses. And um, yes, I, I think they compensate quite well. I, but I, I want to say this though: there's, I, I'm although we have to give them a ton of credit for the, their sense of smell, and, and absolutely, it's it. We're not even close to understanding what they how they experience the world. Yes. But the their vision, see, vision is still what's going to be used primarily. Okay. Over smell. And and the reason for that is just, it's just less costly. If you look at it from a purely adaptive perspective, when you look at a room, you, you get immediate information that is very easy and cheap to process with a ton of information about where things are placed, um, you know, you, you, where you can, you know, you immediately can determine where to go in a room or in a, or in a, a field. We're sent, so with dogs, um, they, they get, there's an immediacy that vision gives us that sense. Very quick snapshot I, I'm kind of getting, is that? Exactly. Yep. That's right. Where sense requires a little bit of analysis. Yes. Got it. So they will rely on vision first. However, if if the vision, it, they can quickly switch over to scent if they need more information or if a scent will hit them. Brilliant. I love it. I love it. That's been so powerful. I'm picturing a dog comes in a room, it does a quick snapshot, looks around, goes over to a corner, and then it turns the nose on. It goes, where is this little biscuit? I'm picturing my dog yesterday, actually. I dropped a biscuit out <laughs> somewhere in a... It was a bag of... Um, my daughter plays soccer. We had kind of 12 soccer balls in a soccer bag, you know, one of those big net bags. And my dog walked in the garage, walked over to the soccer bag, and then he turned his nose on. He could have closed his eyes, and he was in the bag. And we found this one little biscuit right at the bottom. It's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. the the last one is you, you talked about um, those diabetes, those seizures. Was there, is there another way that dogs kind of, is it all to do with smell? Even the kind of, you talked about psychiatric. Is... Psychiatric, yes. So we know, I mean, we, so we use the sa- same type of samples uh, as for diabetes or seizures to help people who suffer with um, anxiety or panic attacks and, and, you know, disorders like that. So the idea here is to have a dog that can let the person know that their anxiety levels are, are rising. And it's not that the person doesn't know, but we're not always fully aware. We're, you know, we're, we're in a situation, we're focused on what's happening, and sometimes uh, we don't realize that our anxiety is, is reaching levels that can, can tip us over um, into, into a bad place if we suffer from a, a psychiatric condition. So the dogs can smell that our anxiety is rising, and they'll come over and start pestering us again and poking us. And what that does is it redirects our attention, our focus onto the dog, right? And we can start petting the dog, or the dog can, can do a certain, certain behaviors that will help us calm down. So the dog might get on our lap to provide deep pressure therapy, for instance. So the, the weight of the dog, the heat, the warmth, the physical contact with the dog is going to help us secrete oxytocin, um, you know, and, and just overall help us calm down and refocus on the dog versus on um, what was, you know, triggering the anxiety. Wow. Brilliant. I actually had a... Um... I realize I actually had a, a service dog and I didn't even realize it. So I, I must share this story because it's, it's quite funny. 
So I had a lovely dog called Inca who's passed away now, and she was a real cuddle, cuddle bunny. I used to sit by my feet when I was in the office. And um, I used to do podcasts. Or, no, I used to do a lot of video work and recording stuff. And um, and what would happen was I used to get a bit stressed, as you do sometimes doing these things, especially when, when like a fly, sometimes a fly would fly in the window because I didn't have air conditioning at the time. So the windows were open. I'm trying to record and a fly would come in and fly around the room. I get so annoyed trying to catch a fly because you just couldn't record with it. <laughs> I can see that, yes. You know, you have to edit and stop the recording. So I got to, well, I didn't realize how stressed I was getting until I noticed my little dog, if I started doing the noise, I'd just tut, you know, just a, that's all I'd say. I'd just go, oh, and, uh-huh. just, and I noticed she would slowly get up and very quietly leave the room. And, um, and what started happening was I'd be sat there and I'd notice she'd go up to the door and start pouring at the door saying, can you let me out? And I'd go, well, why do you want to get out? And then I'd realize I was stressed. Mm-hmm. There was a fly in the room. And just being aware sometimes is enough to go, oh, yeah, I am. I'm getting really stressed about just a fly. And so it really helped me because I was able to manage my own stress and just realize I can chase the fly out the room without getting stressed. And, uh, yeah, it was super helpful. Yeah, it is. It's, and it's great feedback, too, on how you're impacting the others in the room. Mm. Right, because the dogs are going to give us immediate feedback. The way they their behavior is going to change based on how we feel. Let's let us know. Well, maybe I'm I'm coming off a little too strong here, or I need to do something because I'm I'm having an impact on on the other creatures in this room, humans or dogs. And it's much easier to take that feedback from from your dog rather than you know from your wife. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> when your wife says, darling, you're getting stressed and anxious and you need to calm down. It's not going to be as, you know, I, what I'm trying to say in a, in a silly way. No. You know, when my dog says, I know she's not being mean. I know she's coming from a loving place. I know she's being honest and I know she's probably 100% correct, which she was every time. So you kind of go, okay, here's the feedback. Here's the accurate result. I am becoming stressed. Thank you. And uh, Yeah. So... All of these dogs we've talked about, or all these um, things the dogs help with, diabetes, seizures, psychiatric, um, you know, anxiety, panic, they're all based on the dogs being able to smell. Is that true for everything? Is, is everything the dog's doing really based around? No. Okay. Tell us. So um, those are just some of our specialties. But like for in, in each one of those conditions, there's a number of cues or behaviors um, that are also going to be asked for um, with a with a with a word or with a, a gesture. Um, so um, you know the dog can go get help, for instance, or could get medication, or could remind somebody of taking their pills, um, or could um, wow. you know help help a person with you know in all sorts of. But in those cases, the person is going to give you know is going to ask the dog to do it directly. Yeah, look, I'm so fascinated in this whole topic. And I think what it is, is I've always been fascinated with how clever dogs really are and what's really going on. So my brain's jumping around a bit here, which I apologize for. But uh, So when it comes to like reminding people about pills, what, what happens there? Do the dogs, can the dogs kind of count how many pills a person has had? Or No, no, no. <laughs> no. That, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? I mean, I think we'd see an explosion of... Well, I don't put anything past these yeah. dogs. They, you know. no, we'd, we'd see an explosion of dog nurses, but no, it's not as complex 
what we do really is we pair a sound, an alarm with the behavior. So the alarm becomes the cue for the dog to come and, and bother uh, the person. Gotcha. But just like I said earlier, it's easy to just shut off, shut off an alarm, right? You just whack your alarm and turn it off where the dog is going to keep up and, and going to say, hey, no, I need my treat now. So you need to move and go get your pills and give me my treat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've kind of say, I, I kind of said it in a jokey way. Can the dogs count how many pills you've had? Well, the yeah. dogs can count to one. I can tell you they can count. They can count to one. If you have ha if they've had no meals, they will tell you I have had zero food. <laughs> they don't give up because, you know. They can count to more than that, actually. I, I used to, when I, when I did my, my dissertation, my PhD, I was, I was trying to see if the dogs had a sense of um, how many treats were in a big field. So I was, I was using a large soccer field. So this is in France. There were soccer fields everywhere um, and hiding 10 treats. Um, and I was leading the dogs to each one of the treats. So showing them where the treats were, then, you know, letting the dogs loose and allowing them to go, to go check out the, the treats. What fascinated me is, so not only were they able to take shortcuts between the treats, so they were not using their, the tracks that we had used. So that was one of the things I was looking at, but they were able to take shortcuts between the treats and they stopped immediately after the 10th treat. So they had a real sense of how many treats were on there. So the treats were completely invisible. Was there always 10 treats or how did they know there was 10 treats? There were always 10 treats, yes. Wow. And they were completely invisible, covered in grass and everything. I, you know, I had, I had a map to find them. <laughs> so you're telling me the dogs always knew there's one, two. Once they'd learned the game, pretty much, you had to teach them those 10 treats, I guess. Is that how you told them those 10 treats? Yeah. How did you tell them those 10 treats? Is it just repetition? There's always 10? It's just repetition. Just, you know, I lead them to each treat and then take them off the field and then, and then record where they, how they found those treats. But, you know, it was, they could have searched for, for 10, you know, 10 minutes, but they didn't. It took them, you know, less than five minutes to get all the treats, and they stopped immediately after the 10th treat, sometimes after the 8th or 9th, but they were close enough, you know, in the, kind of in the ballpark. Yeah, so they're definitely counting. Wow, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Well, they're definitely doing something along those lines, yeah. Wow. So I guess, you know, I'd, I'd love to have you on again to chat to you about more stuff, but... Uh, I'm trying to cover off as much as we can, and and uh, I'm fascinated with the whole concept of dogs kind of going around with people and traveling. Because when I traveled through America, I was blown away with how many dogs were on the airplanes. I, I don't think I was seeing things. There was dogs on airplanes, or at least in the airports. Is that right? <laughs> that is right. That has changed a little bit because oh. that's when there was a law in place that said if you had an emotional support dog or animal, actually, because there were people traveling with kangaroos and um, iguanas <laughs> and, and, you know, guinea pigs. <laughs> so it, kangaroos on planes. That's... It became quite, quite interesting. <laughs> so they stopped that. And now the laws only allow for service dogs, meaning dogs that have been trained specifically for disability and not just any support animals. So you won't see as many animals. <laughs> yeah, we all get it. We all get a little bit. We all get a little bit stressed when we're sat on an airplane, eh? I mean, we'd all feel better if we had a dog on our lap. <laughs> That's right. Maybe yeah. they should start passing out dogs on the airplane. 
you know, they, they yeah, yeah. <laughs> the airline's dog. I have to ask this. Is there a size limit? I mean, can you have a Great Dane turn up as your service dog? It always it just fascinates me. Yeah, so size is a factor. Now, there's no law that says you can't have a Great Dane. But there's a practical issue of having a service dog. If you're going to travel on a plane or even just go to a restaurant and your dog can't easily fit under the table, you're, that, that's a bit of a problem. So um, you ideal weight really is between 40 to 60 pounds. Those are the dogs that can go pretty much everywhere without any trouble. Yeah. When you get larger than that, not only is it harder because they're not practical, but you also draw more attention. Yes. And so you're going to get even more people, or even if you have dogs from very, you know, special breeds, yeah. um, you're going to have a lot more people come in and bother you all the time about your service dog. Stress you out. <laughs> Stress you out. If you, exactly. If you have social anxieties, right, and you have people constantly asking you about your dog, that is not helpful anymore. And um, and so have you got have you got any stories of of dogs who ended up in interesting places or, you know, I guess they go everywhere. I mean, they go everywhere. But so so where they make a huge difference is in allowing a person to gain independence. Like one of the first diabetes alert dogs that I placed was with a young woman who was seventeen at the time, and she came to us and said. Look, I, I'm never going to be able to leave my parents' home. I'm looking at getting a, um, going into college nearby. I, I'm terrified of going to sleep at night. And I, I need a service dog because my, I'd like to travel the world. And I can't right now. So she got a dog. We placed her with a, a husky that had come from a very difficult situation that we got in a humane society. And together since... They have been to uh, Costa Rica, to Ireland, to, you know, they've traveled all over the place. She went to the college of her choice. And so she, with this dog, she, it, it really allowed her to spread her wings and live the life that she, that she wanted to live. Wow. It's amazing. Brilliant. So, yeah, we have pictures of her on the beach with her dog in Costa Rica and you know, all sorts of very cool places. So what are the key attributes of a, a, a great, you know, a great service dog? I know you've got a, a book, you know, I think it's called Selecting and Training Your Service Dog and How to Succeed in Public Access Work. So in, in terms of people who are listening to this thinking, oh, I think my dog's great. My dog could be a service dog. Is, is what, what are the key attributes that you would say? Yeah. So, um, and, and the book I wrote is actually, was not my first choice. I'm actually, I was actually writing another book about um, training dogs to alert to medical conditions. But then I, I realized that um, we need to start from the beginning. And service dog training, the, the biggest part of training a service dog is training for public access. Yes, Right. If the if you have a dog that can help you with all sorts of things, but you can't can't take it anywhere, that's a bit of a problem. Because it's aggressive towards people. <laughs> exactly. So that's why I ended up writing the other book first, um, with with the understanding that you know I, we see a lot of people picking the wrong dogs or wanting things out of the, their current dog that are just not um, not possible. Okay, tell us the biggest, what's the big no-no's? What's the wrong dog? I'm, <laughs> call me. Well. <laughs> oh, no, what's, what's, the, what's the wrong, what's, what's the bad traits? What do you not want? I, I'm, I'm thinking too much high energy wouldn't be good, eh? Yeah, energy would be hard. 
um, because if you're trying to watch a movie, you're in a movie theater or at a restaurant, and your dog is like, hey, what are we doing? <laughs> and yeah. not wanting to settle down, that's a bit of a problem. But but mostly, see, when you take a dog out in public, our goal is is twofold. First, we want to make sure the dog can work, so can focus on you. Uh, but we also don't want to cause problems to other people. We don't want to be in a situation where anybody can say that our dog has been a problem because then, you know, it has an impact on the whole service dog community. So we need dogs that are very safe to take out in public and that are capable of focusing on their person and not be worried about what's going on in the environment. So one of the biggest things that service dogs need to have is confidence. Yeah. Right, confidence and adaptability. They have to be able to go in all sorts of places, around all sorts of people, and be okay. So it it is almost that. What I was picturing was that kind of. They don't have to look spectacular in any way. They just have to be that sort of solid, bomb-proof, confident, non-reactive, not especially fearful, not especially dominant, not especially kind of, just kind of calm and happy to go everywhere and just. Easy yeah. going. Easy going. Yep. Yes, that's yep. it. Easy going, happy go, lucky dog. Yep. Social. Oh, that was that was my peanut. You see, <laughs> I always thought peanut would be a great. Th- <laughs> she was my therapy dog. She was, she was my service dog. Beautiful. Wow. And in terms of so. For people who are listening to this and thinking, well, well, what could I do? Should I get? How could I get involved? You know, I'd like to maybe have a look at yeah. Getting or training a service dog. What 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 are the things that people can do? How can they get involved and find out more? Well, if they have a dog or want to get a dog that they want to train as their service dog, um, they can certainly go to medicalmets.org. There's a video about how to select the dogs or or buy the book to make sure that their dog qualifies. We test the dogs um, before we bring them into our program. And then we have online classes to teach people how to train their own service dog. Do you hear that, people? Online training courses on how to train your dog as a service dog. It's a beautiful website, Jennifer. I really, really like working my way around it. Oh, thank you. So people can literally go on your website, which is medicalmutts.org, and you have programs on there which people can join. Yes. And train their dogs from their own home by watching the videos. And, and, and they're pretty in-depth from what I could tell. Is that So they're not watching videos. They're live classes. So each class, actually, I'm teaching with another one of my trainers. Yep. And there is video support in between classes. But there are live classes where we answer questions. Brilliant. We demonstrate the behaviors. We watch people um, live so that we can give them feedback. Um, and then there are, you know, assessments along the way to make sure that all of the material is well understood and that the dog is at the level that it, we need to be to move on to the next section. So, um, yeah, these are, they're, they're, they're not for everyone because it does require work. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, you can't just attend the class once a week and expect results. This will uh, require ongoing work with your dog. Um I have to ask, have you had some disasters? Have <laughs> you any stories of dogs where it went very wrong, or do we not talk about those situations? Well, so... The, Is it not funny, I guess? Maybe it's not funny, I'm just thinking. <laughs> well, yes, you, you kind of hit it on the nail there. It's, People's misadventure. Let's, you know, in best circumstances, with dogs that are 
bred for this with all the right conditions, about half don't make it through. Wow. So you have to keep that in mind going through this is that it, a lot of dogs just aren't cut out for it. Mm. Just like a lot of people, you know, can't be uh, firemen or, or surgeons or, you know, or even accountants. It doesn't matter what, what job you want to get into if we're not, we can't all do the same thing. And, and it's the same with dogs. So you might end up with a dog that starts out great, but as you progress, you realize that your dog is terrified to go out and the, his tail is tucked under and he's starting to look at people funny and, you know, it's just not, not a good place. Yeah, yeah. And there are those dogs which are so, so good in 99% of situations, but there's one thing which will absolutely drive them crazy. Or, And I guess that's where, yeah, they've really got to be... Yeah. But, you know, it, I think um, we we also have to get away from the idea that service dogs are perfect. Yes. Because they are not. They're, they're dogs, and just like any other dog, they will occasionally take a, take a shit in a mall um, <laughs> or... Or bark, you know, because they're startled, or you know, do things that they're not that are, is not service dog behavior. But they will. They're dogs. They don't even know they're service dogs, right? They're just trying to deal with the situation the best they can. Um, so we're never going to achieve perfection, but we want to make sure that those situations are not um, typical and and occurring all the time, right? We don't want a dog that's always having accidents yes. whenever you take yes. them out, or that's barking at people when they look at oh, him gosh. wrong or something like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, had, I had a beautiful dog, like I say, Peanut, and uh, she was a real piggy. Nothing I could do could stop her eating, you know, leftover scraps of food or stuff. If she, if you weren't watching, she would eat it. She was part Labrador and she loved the food. And I, 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 I turned my back on her when I was at a garage once, and uh, I couldn't find her. And she wouldn't come, and I called. I said to the guys, "Is there anything?" out that she might eat and they said that the the grease from off the barbecue is all collected in a big bucket around the back Ah. sure enough she ate half a bucket of grease like fat from a barbecue and on the way home she threw up all over the dashboard on the car oh boy yeah she wasn't perfect she was good but wasn't perfect and uh, yeah i can picture that (laughs) yeah so uh, i'd say that what really you know um, one thing about service dogs, when they look really good, it's also a lot of credit to the trainer, the handler. Yes. Right? It's, it's a team. It's the person and their dog, and it's how well the person knows their dog yes. so that they can help them through all these situations and anticipate potential issues so that they can offset them, right? And so they don't become issues. So the best um, kind of dog, the, the, the people who are good with service dogs are, are very often, or training service dogs, are people who are good at often training dogs and they're calm and patient and is that the sort of energy you're looking for with people or what 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 are the qualities you're looking for in a person that would be hard to find i would think for the most part especially when we're working with psychiatric um, patients or you know i, I think um, mostly what it is it's a, a willingness to learn and open-mindedness because a lot of the stuff that we teach is not necessarily intuitive um, and it training is a mechanical skill so if you can memorize and if you have good body coordination that makes it a whole lot easier because how you treat the dog how you talk to the dog how you move with your dog is going to give you know really help either help the dog or um, or make it more h- harder for the dog to understand what you're trying to, to do so um, those I would say are, are more more of a concern, but they're hard to test too. So it's it's uh, yes, 
Yes, people, people, people might come across very calm in one situation, but put them at home with their, with their partner or kids, and it could be a different kettle of fish. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. When I was talking about being calm, I was thinking of people who may want to train service dogs. They, that's where the people could be if they're... Ah, yes. Yeah. So you're talking about the dog trainers. Mm-hmm. Yes, so for a dog trainer, a service dog trainer, I, I think the biggest quality is to really be a, a people person. Got you, yes. Because you are training dogs, but you will have to work very closely with people, and you have to be the advocate of both the dog and the person. Mm. And, um, you know, it's important to have patience and, and understanding of the disabilities that they deal with and, and a real desire to make a difference. Wow. It's, at the end of the day, it's all about relationships with each other and other humans and other dogs and dogs and your dog and it's relationships and being tolerant and loving and kind. and mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's why also our, our training methods are, are kind and ethical and reward based. And, you know, we, I don't, I, as much as I want to help the people, I don't want to have a negative impact on the dog. Mm. I want the dog to see, to, to, to have a fulfilled and positive and wonderful life as a service dog. This is not meant to be a job that's, you know, um, difficult and stressful for the dog quite the opposite it's a wonderful life for a service dog yes yes beautiful yeah i was gonna i was gonna kind of finish almost on that question how do the dogs feel about all of this but i get i guess a lot of these dogs get to see a lot more of the world and experience a lot more things because they are actually service dogs which is wonderful yeah and and you know the partnership and the bond between a service dog and their person is is so strong and so special because they both rely on each other yeah Right. So, um, yeah, for the dog, they, they're not alone at home for eight hours a day. They're with a person. They have, they, they have a rich and stimulating life. And they're with somebody who understands dogs more than the, the average pet owner. Wonderful. Jennifer, it has been fascinating, intriguing, exciting. I've had a lot of laughs. It's just been great chatting to you. So just a quick recap for people who are thinking, I'm interested in this stuff. It's medicalmutts.org. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Medicalmutts.org. Mutts, M-U-T-T-S, for those of you who can't spell mutts. (laughs) (laughs) And that's pretty much it. Is there anything else you'd like to add or say to people or ask me or say to uh, our listeners before we finish up here? No, I would just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Dan. Yeah. Um, I, I, love, I love to be able, again, to, to share experiences with, uh, with other people and especially, you know, to, to reach people on the other side of the world, too. Yeah, well, I'd love to have a, another chat with you. I just feel like you've got so much knowledge and experience and you've seen dogs do stuff. That, that story of them running around the field and all those sort of scientific experiments and backing up how the dogs are actually doing what they do is something that really fascinates me. So, yeah, let's. if you ever have an idea or when you're ready, get in touch and let's, let's do it again. Okay, with, with lots of pleasure. Awesome. Okay, everybody, that was... Uh, a lot of fun and uh, thank you for listening you've been listening to another edition of the doggy dan podcast show where as i say inside every dog is a good dog and inside every good dog is a great dog 
Have a wonderful day and uh, as always, take care and love your dog. Bye. You've been listening to another episode of the Doggy Dan Podcast Show, bringing you one step closer to creating harmony with your dog. 